Okay, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 37. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. And we'll get you one so you can turn to Genesis chapter 37. We finished 1 Timothy chapter 6 last week, and I was wondering and praying, and I know many people were praying for me, what direction we would go this summer in regards to God's Word and His exhortations and His comfort and His teaching. And I thought this summer we'd do something a little different. I love the summer to be a little more practical. Um, Maybe because I'm an application preacher anyways, you're not going to get too much high theology from me because I'm a pretty simple guy and I don't understand most of it. But I thought we were going to spend our summer with Sunday school stories. Now all of us, or most of us, have been to Sunday school And you can remember some of those stories like Noah's Ark or Daniel in the lion's den, Old Testament, Elijah fighting the prophets of Baal. There's so much in the Old Testament. You can remember all those coloring sheets if you went to Sunday school and all those stories and all that God did. And oftentimes, uh, because we are going through which we should book by book, verse by verse. We can miss some of them because some of them are in the major and minor prophets. And we just went through Genesis a couple years ago, so we're not heading back probably anytime soon because it took us over a year to get through. But anyways, this summer I thought I'd just pick some main characters, go through them and see what we can apply to our lives from their stories. So when we get to September, we'll switch again and continue marching through the New Testament, probably in 2 Timothy, but we'll wait till then. So this morning I was thinking of the character of Joseph. If you don't know Joseph, I encourage you, get the movie. <laughs> Just kidding. You'd color. In Sunday school, you'd see the coat, right? You'd see the coat of many colors. You'd color that coat. You'd know the story of Joseph being one of the youngest children of Jacob, of 12 boys, and there's other girls. One mentioned Dinah specifically. We know Joseph was the favorite of his father, and and we see that in Genesis chapter 37. We know that Joseph is very gifted. We know that his brothers hate him, correct? That's the story. If you don't know, I'm telling you, family of 12 kids, number 11, dad had two wives, we don't recommend that here, and many other ladies he was hanging out with, but from that brood came 12, but from the wife, he seemed to have loved Rachel, came two, Joseph and Benjamin, but dad really loved Joseph, and he gets him this coat of many fine colors, his brothers know it, And it's not unusual in a family when one is so favored that the others would be angry. They are angry, and it seems Joseph isn't working as hard as them either. And what made it worse is he has two dreams and tells them about the dreams. And in the dreams, he tells his brothers, you guys are going to bow to me. And then he has another dream and says, Mom and Dad, you will too. Could you imagine the favorite? 
It doesn't say Joseph necessarily is doing anything wrong at this moment, but he certainly is telling them, but you could just sense the tension rising. And here is Joseph, and he's telling them this dream, and these dreams are real. They're almost God's word. God is going to do something. Now, Joseph doesn't necessarily know exactly how it will turn out. It's something wonderful that God is certainly going to use him in a powerful way. But his brothers, as we go through chapter 37, and if you'd like, you can read the story as we go along, but I'm only going to point out some verses. There's so much you can talk about, but I just have a couple things I'd like to say to encourage us this morning. But the reality is they want to kill him. Again, we don't recommend that here at all. He has one brother who does stand up for him and eventually they throw him in a pit instead of killing him. What they do do is sell him into slavery to Egypt. They fake his death, they take his coat, they rip it up, they put blood of an animal on it and they say to their father that Joseph is dead. Jacob doesn't take it well. Obviously being someone he cherished, He's in fetters or he's chained, so it wasn't a wonderful trip to Egypt. And as I'm going to mention in a minute, just think about it, you know, sometimes we read stories and we don't put ourselves in it, but this is probably the ultimate form of rejection, abuse. This is nasty. This is your own family wanting to kill you hurting you, punishing you, and saying goodbye. And off he goes. Even though his family doesn't go with him, God goes with Joseph. And Joseph does end up in the home of Potiphar. We hear that, and he excels. You skip chapter 38, that's another story, and you move into chapter 39 of his house, that he's very blessed. We see as Joseph is a slave, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. And his master, in verse 3, saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So he has great success. In the midst of the affliction, God's favor is upon him, and he has outstanding success to the point that Joseph is ruling in this home and is the greatest in the home, probably a huge home, many servants, other than Potiphar, the one himself who owns everything. But as the Sunday school story would go, we know that there's temptation, and Potiphar's wife sees, as I listened, I started listening to the Bible in my car via CD, and I... And it, I I listened to all these chapters over and I read them and it says, you know, Joseph was well built. How about that, ladies? <laughs> so she notices something. I just like that it says that in a version. He's well built. I don't know what that means in that time, but obviously he's quite muscular. Anyways, catches her eye and day after day, it wasn't once, she tempts him and I don't think she was not beautiful either. I do think there was temptation for Joseph. 
But day after day, like a dripping faucet, she comes back to him again and again. You know how temptation is sometimes. If you think temptation is one and out, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not. Satan is very sneaky, and he continually tempts us where it's very difficult. So one day you might get a handle on it, right? And you think you're doing great, and three days later, bam, why am I thinking this, right? Finally, it comes to the point where all the servants aren't in the house. And she says, come to bed with me. And Joseph, at that point, has no option but to run. But he says this, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin? Because I don't want to displease my God. So interesting, as the story continues, Potiphar, she lies because she's angry. Potiphar blames Joseph. Joseph ends up in prison. For over two years, we know the story goes, and it wasn't a nice prison, but once again, God's favor is with Joseph. It says in verse 21 of chapter 39, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and the keeper of the prison gave him favor in the sight of all, or in my version, in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So once again, like Potiphar, the one who keeps the prison, sees that God is with Joseph and everything he does, there's tremendous favor and wisdom. So he puts him in charge of all the prisoners. Tremendous favor. And you know, as you go into chapter 40, there are two there from Pharaoh's house, the cupbearer and the baker, and they have dreams. And Joseph has this extraordinary gift. Not One faces death in the prison, and it happened one is elevated back to his position and they're taken out of the prison, and it happens exactly as Joseph says. And Joseph even says to the cupbearer, would you remember me? You know? What do you think he does? Do you think he remembers? <laughs> no, he forgets. And there's a time gap, and Pharaoh then has a dream, and the cupbearer finally remembers, oh yeah, Joseph, he can interpret your dream. Pharaoh calls for Joseph, he gets cleaned up. And Pharaoh says to him, you know, I heard you can interpret dreams. And Joseph, who certainly is trusting God, says, no, it's not me, in verse 16 of chapter 41. But God will give Pharaoh an answer. So he does interpret the dreams, you know, seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Obviously, I'm shortening the story puts him in charge of everything so put in charge of Potiphar's put in charge Pharaoh says and now put in charge of all of Egypt and Pharaoh says to him in verse 38 of chapter 41 wow Joseph you are one in whom is the spirit of God and by the way the Holy Spirit as in the New Testament didn't dwell in him, but specifically in Joseph, it did. But for us, the Spirit of God dwells in us, right? But something amazing is happening, and Joseph wisely does the right thing and makes sure to take care, and all that is taken in the time of plenty is put away. Back to Canaan. Jacob and the brothers are running out of food, and you know the story. They come, and there's this long process of not knowing who he is, going back. Jacob says, go back. 
saying they're lying, putting money in their sacks. Maybe you're not thinking that because you're good Christians, but it would be very easy for Joseph to think like, gravel, like, beg me, you dirty, rotten jerks. But we know Joseph has the Spirit of God, so he comes to this point and reveals himself and tells him that he forgives them. And he wants to help them. And he has all of his family come from Canaan in this time of famine to Egypt. And he gives them the best land. And Jacob's thrilled. He sees his son and just like, this is incredible. And lives for many years in Egypt so finally he does pass away. But when he does pass away, the brothers obviously get a little nervous because they think maybe he was just being nice to us because of dad. But Joseph says to them in chapter 50, do not be afraid, verse 19, for am I in the place of God, verse 20 of chapter 50, but as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day and save many people alive. That's incredible. You know, you read the story and you'd be like, oh yeah, he, yeah, just gave him forgiveness. And we live in a society that unfortunately doesn't let go that easy. And if you're a victim, you're always a victim. That's not Joseph. Joseph was a victim of a horrible crime. But he didn't let it push him down. He rather rose above it with God's favor and God's presence and God's spirit. And God used him in probably incredible ways. So basically, I just have three things I wanted to point out and are the only lessons, but these are the lessons God showed me to apply to my life. I look at the dream and I look at God's sovereignty because God had a plan, didn't he? Joseph, you're going to rise. Joseph, you're going to save many people. Your brothers are going to bow to you. And you see God's plan. And I want to say maybe you know God's plan in your life. Well, you know scripturally that he's coming, about, coming back and he's going to win and he's going to be victorious. Or maybe God specifically in your life has given you a promise. I don't know if you ever felt that way, that you have a promise from God, you know it's from Him, maybe to change a circumstance, maybe just at the beginning of your life, maybe now God has said something, promised from His Word. Well, actually, there's over thousands of promises in God's Word, but even specifically, He does speak to us. And God is sovereign, and God is in control, but maybe like me, sometimes there's a little bit of a challenge when you don't see that happening. <laughs> Anyone there with me? Okay, so let's take the story of Joseph. He has this great promise, this great dream. Okay, the next thing I am, I'm chained up, being taken to a foreign country where I know no one, and you tell me my brothers are going to bow to me, and I probably, in my mind, am never going to see them again. You get there, okay, God, you have this great promise for me. 
I do well, maybe I'm thinking it could happen, and this woman lies about me and sends me to prison. God, where are you? Because the circumstance of my life does not match up with the promise that you have spoken to me. Ho-ho, have you ever been there? If you guys say no, I don't know. We all face this. God is sovereign, God's in control, but it's not looking like that. And what do I do in the process of thinking, God, where are you in what you have said in your word and into my life? I don't see it, and this really stinks. Hmm. If you're not there, you're going to be there. Because this is life. Because I'm here to tell you And I was thinking this morning, just praying with the Lord, so often we're so concerned about the finish line, but God's more concerned about the process. We see them bowing, we see the promise, and God says, there's a lot in between that I want to develop in you and your character so you can be a man or a woman of faith Instead of just thinking, I tell you, I give it to you, because then you become like a spoiled child. And you're like, well, I'm tired of waiting, God. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes, and all the great women and men of God had to wait for his promises to be fulfilled. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it says Abraham waited for a city, and he wasn't speaking of this earth. That he dwelt on tents because he was thinking of eternity. Waiting develops our character and it gives us hope. It develops our faith. And you have God's sovereignty, but I want to tell you this morning, you have your responsibility. What do you do when you, not, when you don't see God work? What do you do when you say, look at all of this abuse or difficulty that I don't deserve, that I'm facing God, where are you? And sometimes we take that and then we justify living sinful, complaining, do what we want lives. Well, this happened to me. I know you promised that, but this happened to me, so I'm going to do what I want. Do you see that in Joseph? No way. He could have said, oh, Potiphar's wife. I deserve this. You know what's happened to me? Finally, something. I could be head of the home, and I can have this lady. But what did he say? No, I'm not going to sin because I will be sinning against God. And in the waiting, Satan is going to tempt you to sin. But God is saying, no, don't do that. Just because you can't see the fulfillment is no justification to complain in your self. I don't see you, God. I'm just going to go do what I want to do. That's not God's word. God, I don't see you working, but I'm going to continually live for you. And what happens when we do that, God develops us and our character grows. We give our hope grows. Not only that, he could have easily given up. I said to Amy, what do you think about Joseph's story? What stands out to you? And she's like, his perseverance. 
This guy was a motor, right? He just kept going. Bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. No, I'm not going to give in, and I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep using my gifts in Potiphar's house. Well, you got to go to jail. Well, I'm going to use my gifts in jail, and God's going to put favor on me. Well, maybe I get elevated. I'm not going to think good or bad. I'm still going to use my gifts for God's glory. Well, here's your brothers. I'm going to keep enduring in what God wants me to do. I'm going to forgive them. As you are waiting, I encourage you to continually use your gifts because God wants to use you in the time of waiting to accomplish His purposes. Right? But the problem is we get so down and look at the negative and what we don't see, we become paralyzed and don't use our gifts for God's glory. Well, things are going bad. I give up. No. It's in the trial that God forms us and makes us to develop this endurance so that we can see Him greater in our faith. In the times when you don't see and you know God's sovereign, it doesn't mean you stop working. It means you work harder. If you're just working because you want the end result, you're missing out on a whole lot. Because God wants to be with you today and develop you today because God's not only about the finish line, again, He's about the process. He's forming you. He's shaping you in your trial, in your waiting. It's interesting, I was in Joshua this week in chapter 21, verse 45, when finally the Israelites entered the land and conquered it through Joshua, the land of Canaan, that He said, at the end of the chapter where it says, God accomplished all that he said. You know how many years that took? <laughs> God accomplished all that he said, it says in Joshua 21.45. And so he promised to give them the land probably woo, 40, 50 years before. And finally says, God accomplished what he said. But I will tell you, it didn't happen in five minutes or five days. And I will tell you, they had to fight against the enemy when they entered the land. Though God sent the hornets and the wasps and the hail to defeat the enemy, they still had to go. Though they had to defeat Jericho, they had to walk around and God did the supernatural with His favor. But they had to get up and walk and in faith they had to shout. So as you wait and you don't see, the lesson today is, yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God has a plan. Yes, God's coming back. Yes, God has spoken to you. But let's get off our rear ends and do what we know to do and live in holiness and work hard in our gifts for His glory instead of complaining. Oh God, where are you? Oh God, how come things haven't changed? Oh God, why isn't it easy? I always am learning to say to people, God has almost always promised you favor. He hasn't promised to be fair. He's promised you favor. But he's never said it's going to be easy. You know, there's a gospel out there that everything will be easy. You believe it and it will happen. Yes, you believe and it will happen. But sometimes you have to face a little affliction to grow the faith. Right? Right? Please, 
Do not look at the finish line, but look at five quickly. And there's a little section about Joseph. I don't know. You probably knew that. Sometimes the Psalms talk about these Old Testament characters. But it says in verse 16, Moreover of Psalm 105, He called for a famine in the land, meaning God, because He's sovereign and had a plan. He destroyed all the provision of bread. Verse 17, He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. And this is the part that's absolutely incredible. Sometimes you read these psalms and you don't get these little verses, or I don't. But it says, the word of the Lord tested him. <laughs> don't you love that? In the New Living, until the time had come to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph. Okay, God, you promised me this. Time hasn't come yet. I've spoken. God has spoken. God's promised. And then God says, I'm testing whether you're going to believe it or not. And I'm growing your character. I'm proving your character. I think in the NIV it says, he proved him right. His character right in the waiting that he would have faith and be developed. I know God has promised a harvest of souls in Lanark County. No one can tell me otherwise. Dreams, interpretations, supernatural. I don't know how and I don't know when. But what do you think I should do while I wait? Sit on the couch? Hey, hello! Evangelizing, <laughs> should we keep in heart? Should we keep praying? Should we keep witnessing and evangelizing? Should we keep sharing our faith? Should we keep believing? Or should we say, okay, God's promised it. That's it. And if it doesn't happen, oh God, where are you? God is testing us in His promise to prove our character true. See, that's a personal word to me. There's been times in my life that God has shown me something specifically in His Word or people and said, this thing is going to happen. I can remember specifically one thing. I'm not going to mention it to embarrass anyone. But I remember praying and God saying, this is going to happen. It didn't happen for eight months. And I remember the temptation was, well, God said it. I just have to believe it. But you know what I had to do is continually pray, continually write letters, continually knock on doors, and God was faithful. Just because He told me it was going to happen didn't mean I stopped working in my belief for Him because sometimes faith picks up a shovel to get God's work done. And if revival's coming, we need some people who are going to say, I am going to pray, I am going to share, I am going to believe, I am going to work, because God will be glorified and He will grow me in the process, in the iron, in the fetters. What is it for you? Your children you're playing for, your marriage, whatever it is. And if God's given you word, you can trust Him. But in faith, keep working in an endurance and perseverance for His glory.
at the end, kind of my second to last lesson, I gotta make it quick, <laughs> very quick. Joseph learned to forgive. We need to learn to forgive. If there's anyone who's been hurt, Joseph can say, I just want to make that clear in my life, in your life. Forgiveness isn't an option. Feeling bitterness in your heart is a command. And if you're holding bitterness in your heart and you're planning schemes, you're just hurting yourself. I'm not telling you in the future you have to trust that individual in any way, but you have to release the debt that you're holding against them. And because Joseph could do that, God could work. You need to release the Holy Spirit to work by your forgiveness because God loves that individual as much as you might love someone you love. But it's easy to think God doesn't love them because they hurt me. God loves them. And he wants to use your forgiveness to set them free. But for your own self, and how can you do that? Because what they meant for evil, God means for good. Man is sinful, do you know that? And I can't explain it, and I don't want to, but when we have free will, we can choose sin, and when we sin, we hurt other people, but then we blame God, and we say, well, God, you're not good, I had to go through this. No, sin and evil allowed that to happen, but God's saying, I'm going to turn that evil and I'm going to turn it to good because I am good and I'm a good father. Do you trust him? Do you believe in the character of God? Or are you stuck on the evil? See, God had a plan for Joseph to save many and if he would have been unforgiving and hurtful and hateful, he wouldn't have saved a nation. You got to forgive. I got to forgive. Because God is good and he's forgiven us. Actually in chains because of unforgiveness. You say, well, you don't know how bad it was. I don't, but Joseph does. And God does, more importantly, through Jesus Christ, his son. He says, there's nothing you face that I haven't faced. And yet he forgave. And as he's forgiven us, we need to forgive others. But the whole crux of the matter is why does evil happen? Because of sin, because of the curse. But God is good, and he's going to turn it for good. Amen. Amen. And you have to believe that. That there is a plan greater than yourself that God wants to use you in. This is a short lesson, but it's crucial to us working for God. Finally, I just wanted to mention in our fight against evil and Satan, it says one of our greatest weapons in Revelation obviously is the blood of lamb, the forgiveness of God, but second, the testimony, testimony of people, testimony of you. And I just see that working in this, that Joseph had a word from God. Joseph didn't see it. Joseph kept working. 
Joseph saw God's word fulfilled. So then in Hebrews chapter 11, it makes it clear that Joseph, who's named in there, said to the people before he died, take my bones out of here because Egypt isn't our final destination. Remember that section? What gave him such incredible faith to believe in something that wasn't going to take place for another 400 years? Think about this. How could he believe now probably coming in with 75, multiplying like rabbits, just before he dies, nation growing, thinking, how are we going to go back to Canaan? Not for 400 years. Take me back. When you go back, because you're going to go back, because God's promised that land to us, no matter what the famine is or what's going to happen, you take me out of here. I want to propose to you it was this, because Joseph's Faith had grown through testimony of seeing God work in his life. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the word of God, the testimony of God, what God has done in your life. And as Satan comes to you in your darkest moment and says, oh look, where's God? Where's God? God's not working in your life. Obviously you're in chains. Obviously you're going to Egypt. Look, now you're in jail. Look at your trial. Look at your trial. Look at your trial. Where's God? You need to stand in the truth of what God has done previously in His Word and in your life and say, get lost. I'm going to believe and trust that God is going to work because He has worked before. And that's why we set up memorials in our life and we keep journals. And for me, put rocks in front of my house when I say, where's the cash? God has me look at the rocks and says, I provided it for you before and I will not stop. And I am faithful. So devil, when you put those worrying thoughts in my mind, like what if, when, where is God? I'll show you where God is. He's in heaven. He lives in me. He's worked in the past and he's going to work again. And I'm not going to look at the darkness I'm going to look at the light, and I'm going to look at the truth, and I'm going to stand on the truth. I want to tell you something, that things aren't accomplished in God's kingdom only with our work, but more importantly, they're accomplished by our faith. When you pray, it's not how much you pray, it's with the Spirit you pray in. God is looking for faith, and then faith causes us to work. And when we work, He answers. So where are you at today? Well, God told me something. It's not happening. Keep going. Keep trusting. Keep believing. Joseph is a perfect example for us. Maybe there's sin in your path. Maybe you're justifying your sin. Don't do that. Maybe you're not forgiving because you're only looking at the darkness and what people have done to you. Can I encourage you? Look at God. Instead of looking at what people have done to you, look at what He has given you. Declare what is true. Believe in the One. This time, thank you for your testimonies. The life of Joseph, which is a testimony 
of endurance and perseverance, of character that was created in the fire. And Lord, I know there are probably people in this room who need to be encouraged. They have promises from You. We all have the promise of eternity. We all have the promise of Your Word. But Lord, maybe some of us even have specific promises and we're tired and we're broken and we're in the trial. God, may this Word today encourage us that You are so interested in our lives and the process. You are working. You're going to accomplish Your will no matter what. But You want to make us holy and more a people of faith in the process. God, we would just open ourselves to trust You more in the darkest, in the most light, whether in the jail or in the luxury of, that God has given us favor in, in the midst of the affliction. Ephraim. His son Ephraim. In the affliction, God has brought me favor. We praise You. You are good, Lord. Thank You for Jesus this morning. Thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for the grace. Celebrate that this morning. Greatest gift of all, forgiveness. We're going to celebrate that this morning. We're going to have common thoughts about Jesus and the trial that He went through and how He learned obedience through the difficulty. And in that obedience, we are free today. That you are forgiven. That you are changed forever. Would you see this morning that God is good? He is with you? Would you know that Jesus loves you? The elements are in the back. As Randy and the worship team sing, just examine and worship Jesus Christ this morning. Let's enjoy this.